Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Today, I, well, I guess it's good evening where my guest is today. She's coming to us from Ireland. Hi. Hi. Her name is Danielle Serpico. She is, hold on to your seats, an entrepreneur, an author, a martial artist champion, a motivational speaker, a mind coach, and an artist. What I'm interested in knowing is what she does in her free time. Anyway, she is going to share several things with us today, including some secrets. And um, in her book, The Black Belt Mastermind, she chronicles her journey of how her mindset changed with the discovery and awareness of the control she possessed. Now, that's a mouthful, but I'm sure that she's going to explain that in detail and to share, like I said, her secrets and some insight in what we can do to change our mindset. Welcome this today, this evening, this morning, Danielle. Hi, Carol, and hi to everybody who's listening. I'm delighted to be here over here in sunny evening in Ireland. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Yes, we just chatted for a minute, and she said that uh, her weather there is basically what we are experiencing on the west coast of the United States. So we yeah. are basically around the same, which is a nice 10 degrees and warm and ready for spring. That's it. Now, you grew up in Italy. I did. I'm half Irish, half Italian, yes. And you had a desire to make people feel good through food. Now, I want, we want to talk about that a little bit because there's nothing like comfort food. And even food that isn't that comfortable is still good. <laughs> and you, you also had three restaurants in Ireland. Yeah. And there's something happened during that time as well that changed your whole way of thinking. So let's talk about that early year, uh, years that you were um, – in the restaurant business. Sure, great. Um, well, I suppose as when very briefly as a little girl, I, I was I'm half Irish, half Italian, as I said. My father's Italian, and I grew up in Rome, and my mum's Irish. And as a little girl, I always kind of wanted to, I don't know, instinctually, I always kind of used to play the role of making people feel good. And I used to, you know, whether it was singing on the train or drawing little pictures and writing little poems and giving them to people, I, I did that from a very early age. And I had planned to go to art college, actually, to, to be a children's illustrator. I wanted to write children's book books, which we'll probably talk about maybe a little bit later. But um, I ended up kind of by chance when I was in, paying my way through art college in Ireland. I ended up taking over a, a kind of a little restaurant and running it. And 
From there, a gentleman, and I, I was 19 at the time, um, approached me and asked me would I like to go into business with him. He was a, a private investor. And I ended up opening my first restaurant at 20 years of age. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it was kind of I dropped out of art college and ended up going down that route. And I, I suppose it took a long time for me to realize. Now, I was I was doing a lot of stuff that I wanted to do instinctually, like getting people to feel good, like you said, through food. And I was being creative through the process of opening restaurants. I ended up having three restaurants and um, just creating an ambience, an atmosphere, a place, a destination where people could come and experience not just eating, but also um, having a full experience of going out with their families or whatever and having uh, memories and creating that time together. So I, I did love it. I did enjoy it. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how the restaurant business came about. And just by chance, I <laughs> I happened to open Italian restaurants. That was one of my questions. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. wondering what kind of food you served. Okay, they they were they were they were Italian based restaurants. Absolutely, yes. So what happened? You had mentioned in your notes to me that something happened that changed uh, everything in your life when you were in in the restaurant business. Can you share that uh, with us? Yes, sure, absolutely. Um, so you've probably heard of the Celtic Tiger over here in Ireland, and you've probably obviously heard of the recession. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So the, the situation was, actually, I had two, two Italian restaurants going very well, and then what happened was in 2007, basically, I um, opened a fine dining restaurant. And it was just before the recession hit and I opened it in a very small town. So anyone thinking of going into business, <laughs> my biggest advice would be be very careful of your demographics, of your location, of the target market that you're going after is is so important. People think a restaurant business is easy. It's really, really hard business to be in. Um, and being in the Italian restaurants was great because I knew everything there was to be everything and everything to know. But when you open a fine dining restaurant, you're taking a whole nother ball game. You know, you're talking about um, very experienced chefs, sommeliers and all the rest. So I opened a 120 seater restaurant basically in in the end of November, December 2007. And January 2008 arrived and everything oh, literally changed overnight. Yes, yes. And it affected all my businesses. And because I was carrying a lot of a lot of weight on the fine dining restaurant over the next two years I ended up closing the other two Italian restaurants and moving everything into the fine dining restaurant and I tried to juggle the things for for another year or so and I opened a bistro downstairs it was a very large restaurant 150 seater restaurant and eventually in the summer of 2009 I ended up literally closing over the doors I sat down on the ground and cried with my staff I couldn't afford to give them their last week's wages and I basically told them to take what they wanted from the restaurant as payment for their last week's wages so that's what happened and that was for me the worst moment um, in a long in a long time in my life because I felt obviously a complete and utter failure um, I come from a small town in Ireland with a population of about 5,000 people and 
for the previous 15, 16 years, I had been a businesswoman in the town. And I suppose I felt, you know, for certain other things in my life and my childhood, you know, I came from a, a broken home and a lot of obviously instability coming back and forth to Ireland and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I... I liked the security and the comfort of feeling that, you know, I had established myself as, as somewhat of a success. And it wasn't until I sat down on the ground and cried that I realized that although I'd been confident all my life, I had no self-belief. And at that moment, I, I, I hit rock bottom. That was that was my worst point. And did you pity? Did you did you have a lot of self-pity as well? Yeah. So Again, what happened? Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and how did you deal with that? Because I know a lot of people struggle with that and how yeah. to get their mind wrapped around that. So basically, I mean, this is, I suppose, where everything kind of changed. And this is, I suppose, what one of my main messages would be. Now, in that time, I had done a lot of other things besides the restaurant businesses, you know, and you, you, you probably want to ask me about that a little bit later. I had been following a martial arts career as well. So I had learned how to get back up and fight. Okay, so to speak. okay. Um, and it's so much more than a physical thing, you know. <laughs> I, I'm not in the habit of getting into street fights or anything like that on <laughs> such wood. Uh, so far, I haven't been in any, you know, real altercations, so, and I hope I never will be. But you probably so, could take care of yourself, right? I, I, I would very much imagine <laughs> I, I could, and I, I hope I could, absolutely. Um, you know, with the training, because it's it's much more than physical. It's a, it's a mental thing, you know. And what happened was I went home that day and I was literally so ashamed. I actually cleared out. I actually, it's, it was like something out of some kind of film. I got two big trucks, hired two big trucks, and we cleared out the rest of the restaurant in the nighttime because I was too embarrassed to do it in daylight wow. in front of the local townsfolk. So I went home and I literally hid under the duvet. Um, afraid to come out because I was embarrassed I was ashamed how long I got, um I'd say for a, a month or six weeks or so wow. you know I I hid hid at home and I didn't know what to do I was I was lost I was confused I was I had gone through a few other things in my life at this point as well like I, I had recently been divorced um I had um, lost actually my two babies, my two dogs <laughs> um, that I'd had for 12 years, um, two large Newfoundland dogs, which were my, my, my babies. And there was a lot of stuff that happened in the space of about that year. So I, I just felt my whole life had kind of fallen apart and I, I didn't know what to do. So what then happened was I basically, I was, I, I read the paper one day and there was um, a gentleman, a local gentleman that I knew from the town that had been a businessman as well. And he'd actually he'd, he'd actually committed suicide because he, he had also gone out of business. Aww. And I was hearing all these how, stories. How did that affect you? Exactly. That, that affected me. It's a good question. I, I was in shock, to be honest. It kind of gave me a slap in the face because... I was thinking of this, my God, this whole man, this, this man had his whole life ahead of him. And he allowed simply the fact that he'd closed his businesses to define him. That, I want you to repeat that. That I have heard so often that people have this problem. So repeat that again and expound a little bit on that. Sure. 
Um, well, it was exactly the same as myself. I, I had allowed, I, I had allowed my business or my identity to be to be dictated by what I did by by my business. I allowed my business to be what defined me. And I realized when I heard about this this gentleman that hang on a second, it it, it made me kind of question it. Maybe to say, hang on, is that all I am? Is that it? Is am I just simply the businesswoman? Mm-hmm. And if if I lose that business, am I no longer worth anything? Am I no longer am I am I nothing? You know, am I not worthwhile being on this earth? So, you know, everybody's battle is relative and and subjective, obviously, to their own experiences. And of course, there are people that have been through, you know, a lot worse than me. And there's people that have been through less than what I've been through. That's right. But, but for each individual, the pain is 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 relative because, you know, you can only feel the pain that you're feeling and that's all, you know. So this this man, it just seemed such a waste. It just seems so sad. He left his family that loved him behind and everything. And, you know, I went down to the local shops. I remember I went down to my local supermarket and people started asking me questions like I'd meet people and they'd ask me questions like, oh, you know, Danielle, you're still you're still in the town. You're still living here. And oh, I was my goodness. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I was kind of, well, yes, you know, why wouldn't I be? And I'd go home and I'd be thinking like and they, they didn't know what to say because basically they, they, they thought that I'd run off, you know, and ran away in embarrassment, you know, and I I. I, I started this niggling thought just kept on creeping back into my head. And I suppose maybe the fighter in me from mm. from from martial arts and through my own journey and what other things through my life kind of said to me, no, hang on a second. That can't be it. This can't be it. That, that, you know, we can't be simply our our business or that, that can't be what defines us. So I, I decided literally to sit back up in bed and I and I started reading <laughs> Yeah, I started reading these self-help books. Now, my mother had left it. I had a load of them in the house, you know, from my mother's own journey. And I'd read them a few times before, but I'd never really taken them seriously. So I started to read them, but this time I didn't just read them. I really kind of asked myself every time I read a passage that meant something, I'd say, now, how how can I make this really make my life different? How What does this really mean for me? And I, I would reread over those words. And, you know, if there was a if there was some advice or, or some point in it that was very, very, you know, uh, relative to, to the situation. And I'd say now, instead of just reading this and kind of going like most of us, we read our books and we just put them down. And say, oh, that was a good read. And then we forget about it. And we don't actually use the teachings and the learnings from it. I actually said, no, hang on a second, Danielle. This time you're actually going to read it and take heed of it and do something with it. So that's kind of what I started to do. And I, I, I came across a few different books. I read, for example, um, The Power of Now which um, by Eckhart Tolle, which had a huge impact on me. And I started to kind of appreciate what I did have. You excellent, know, I started. Excellent. Yeah. Point. Yes. I started to kind of say, well, hang on a second. OK, I've closed my business. OK, fine. OK, I have nothing. But do I have nothing? Do I really have nothing? Now, hang on. I'm a, here I am. I'm a what age would I have been? Thir- I'm a 35, 36 year old woman, you know, healthy, you know, free to do whatever she wants, really, you know, 
have I have lots of skills. I have lots of ability. You know, I'm not in pain. I'm not in so I'm not suffering. You know, not physically anyhow. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm. I I I have enough enough intelligence to go out there and get a job or do something again. You know, so I started to look at the positives and the things that I did have. So the the, the power of now and appreciating the moment and appreciating the moment that we're living in right now really started to help me. Then I read um, another book um, by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. I don't know if you've ever read that book. And that, again, had a really big impact because if you've heard the story, basically, it's this gentleman, it's a true story. He was um, he was uh, in, a, in a prisoner of war camp and he, he was he was a Jew. He was a, a, a psychiatrist. And all his family basically were, were killed. And he, he was the last one left out of all the people he loved, he loved. And his way to survive this was through his mindset. Okay. So that's where the impact really hit you. Yes, this is where I really started to strike home. And, you know, I, I, I read that book twice. And he spoke about how no matter what people took from him, they couldn't take one thing. And that was his choice of how he would choose to feel and think and what he thought of. So I re- read that over and over again. And I realized, hang on, Danielle, here, I have a choice like like him. Now, if he can do it through the extreme, unbelievable kind of, you know, incomprehensible circumstance for me, you know, if, if, if he can do that through what he's been through, then I have no excuse. I have absolutely no excuse to not be able to get back up here and fight. So that's what I did. So I suppose that book had a huge effect because I realized and I don't know if you've heard this quote before, but it is probably one of my biggest lessons that between every thought and every action we always have one thing and there is one thing in between that between every thought and every action we have choice right so absolutely exactly so that was the moment I chose to get back up so I then continued on I read um a number of books by Paul McKenna you've probably heard of him he's a a hip yeah and then I, I his books helped me I started to actually practice some of the the little exercises in it and instead of just you know reading it I started to practice it and it got me up got me out there I got a job and started working again and then I I wanted to discover more from Paul McKenna because I was using my mindset differently and I I real I discovered that Richard Bandler who's the co-creator of 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 a neuro-linguistic programming um he was actually the teacher of Paul McKenna so I read some of his books and I got so into it then that I decided to go off and do a course with him in England. So that's what I did. And I suppose that when I came back from that course, that was when things really, really started to change. That's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's you explain that very, very well. And I have always absolutely believed 110% that attitude is what makes or breaks us. 
Absolutely. And that's what you're confirming over and over again because it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. And you chose, like you said, you made the choice to have the right attitude. Yeah. And having the right attitude, then you can you see things differently. You, you're looking from a different perspective. You're counting your blessings. You're being grateful rather than throwing a pity party or wallowing in whatever sadness, you know, that you're going through and experiencing. Because as you said earlier as well, we all have situations and it's all relative. Your pain is not the same as somebody else's, exactly. but it's still pain. And how you deal with it is your choice. And, no, that was very, very well put. Mm-hmm. Now, you also, as an entrepreneur, did you start any other businesses besides the restaurant businesses? Um, well, uh, at that time, um, I also had a gift shop, actually, <laughs> for a number of years, a little a local little gift shop in the town as well. Um, but um, And then I, I was also, with my martial arts uh, business, I was training, Oh, you I were was training, doing, okay. Oh, yeah, I'd been training all through that time as well. So I had done a lot of, um, I would have done at that stage, I would have been working in schools and, and teaching self-defense courses and and those type of things, workshops with, with women and that sort of thing. So I had been doing that as well all through that period. Okay, so you had lots of experience in business and, <laughs> yeah. and yet... Um, it just shows shows people that it can still happen to the best of the best well laid plans, right? I mean, I the recession that. came, and you know you were caught in the middle, and it's what you again how you brought yourself out of that. I mean, that's phenomenal. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people yeah. are still wallowing in that past. Well, that's it. I mean, I think I realized, as I said, we have a choice, right? Um, but if we choose, and it was very easy, and this is this is. This is important, I guess. And this is something that I tell, you know, my 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 clients now all the time. And I can really relate to it. I can empathize and I can understand because I was completely one of those people. <laughs> it's very, very easy to want to wallow in mm. self-care. And it's very hard to to hear it for the first time or listen to it or take heed of it. You know, take the advice, whether it's from a book or somebody or your a friend or a loved one to tell you, look, Danielle, you're not helping yourself. Get up, get out there. You know, what are you doing? You know, sitting around and feeling sorry for yourself isn't going to change anything. But it's easier because you're in your comfort zone. Yes. And, you know, it's it's harder to get up there and fake go out and face the unknown because that's our instinct because it's going back to, to long, long time ago where our instinct is to stay in the cave where it's nice and safe, safe no matter even if we don't even realize it's actually detrimental to us in the long term. But it's easier for us to stay in our little cave, hidden away, than to go out there into the big bad world and face it. Because comfort is our is our is our biggest drive to stay in in that place. So, you know, I would actually I realized one day, you know, after I was reading these books, for example, I would put on sometimes. I remember after I, you know, things like you know, I split up with my partner. I I would I would I would I would listen to kind of you know romantic songs because. I wanted to feel bad okay, because okay. Mm-hmm. feeling bad actually in a way, in a strange way, actually made me feel more alive because I would feel the strong emotion, the strong, strong emotion. And it was a pull and a drive. And I remember one day driving home in my car. I remember these, you know, so- soppy love songs came on the radio and it took and I decided that day, no, no, hang on, Danielle, I'm not going to help myself by actually keeping these playing. Because I realized that I wanted it. It was like a drug. 
I wanted it. It was so soothing. It, it was it was soothing in a strange mm-hmm. <laughs> in, a, in mm-hmm. a strange way because you know it kept us in that place. It kept me in that place, and to, for me to to step out of my comfort zone and switch it off and put it to a, 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 a happy song, which had no impact on me at that moment, was was strange. Was bizarre. I felt I felt blank. I felt numb. I, I you know I, I didn't know how to experience it. So it was it was something not familiar. And until we take and the word says it until we take responsibility, responsibility, you know, which is simply right. our ability to respond. You know, until we take responsibility, we're always going to be the victim. And we when we when we do that, we're never going to be able to move on, because when we take responsibility, then then obviously we can change our course, change our destiny, change our life because we're doing something about it. So, I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't know if you've ever heard of the scenario uh, that reminded me as you were as you were talking here of the person with a toothache. And you bite down really, really hard on that sore tooth because it feels so much better when you when you stop. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's what it very, reminded me, you know, it's, it's that you were, it was soothing in that you know, for for a variety of reasons, but also, you know, you were experiencing the pain, and then when you stopped, you felt better because yeah. you were just experiencing the moment pain, but not the whole picture. And uh, yeah, those that's that that's exactly what I thought about, and I could see you sitting in your car listening to that and just feeling, well, allowing the the pity to well up too. I'm sure. Um, yeah. You know that that's very common, and and then we justify our actions, and that in itself is soothing too. So very valid point. Excellent. Yeah, and I do believe I think I do believe that there is a time and a place for that, and I do believe we all have to allow ourselves time and space to grieve, or or or, or you know, feel sad. But I think there comes a point in time where you have to say, okay, now it's unhealthy. Now it's not doing me any good to stay here. Now it's time to move on. No, that's that's a very legitimate point as well because we need to grieve. If we just bury everything, it's going to come out in another way, and it's usually a negative way. So definitely, no matter what we go through, we need to take the time to grieve, but it's where we don't choose to live. Exactly. And exactly. We, move, we move on. We move forward. We learn from that. Exactly. Oh, and, I learned. I learned so much. <laughs> Very fast. Isn't it amazing? If we, all the life lessons we learn, we're really getting smarter as we get older. <laughs> oh, absolutely. If we were only born with this kind of wisdom in the beginning and experience as our teacher. And we would. <laughs> so tell me about the, let's talk about the martial arts. And how you got started and what you, you mentioned a few of the lessons you learned, but maybe expound on that a little well, bit. Well, I suppose what actually I had, I think it was when I had my first restaurant Um, you know, I was in my early 20s. And basically, I wanted something to um, help me actually to de-stress. That was the reason I got into martial arts. I wanted something where I could go after work and you know, I wanted to exercise, but I also wanted something to take my mind off work. I wanted something where I could totally, for an hour or two, um, switch off. So that's how I got into it. And I found a great art, Kempo, which um, really just helped me to do that. I was so focused. I remember the first time I did a class, after two hours, I came out and I went, wow, my God, I didn't think about anything else for two hours, bar 
bar what I was doing and the moves I was doing. Now, on the first day, I was terrified. You know, I sat there like a <laughs> little girl in the back of the room, you know, with my toes curled in, kind of thinking, oh, my God, how on earth am I going to stand up here and do this? I was terrified, but I got so into it so fast that, you know, each class was just, um, it was like a dance. It was like a movement and... Mm. Good, you know, good way to put it. Yes. Yeah, it was it was like a form of moving meditation, shall okay. we say. Mm-hmm. So I was able to to switch off and use my brain in a different different way. So yeah, I I really got into it. I <laughs> I, I very fast moved up the ranks and and you know gave it my all and um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I became a black belt. I was I was teaching. I was helping and. Um, ended up then eventually you know doing a number of competitions and I I won gold and silver in the European championships really yeah yeah so um yes I'm a gold and silver medal champion (laughs) so so that was great great moments and um yeah it just I suppose more than anything martial arts then I also grew in confidence through it I mean it's a great that's right I could see that absolutely yeah, I mean, for any any child as well, I mean, we, we've seen many children, you know, coming into the classes and, you know, they're really shy and nervous and, and you know, two or three months even passed and they're completely transformed. Isn't know? that interesting? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to watch. I remember one young gentleman, he was about 17 now and he was such a, you know, we, we have an expression which maybe is, sounds awful, but you couldn't walk and chew gum. <laughs> but he was very clumsy, <laughs> clumsy footed and, you know, awkward kind of gangly young teenager, you know. And I remember watching him at a grading. Uh, it was about two years later and he was phenomenal. And I was just my mouth was just hanging open at the transformation, you know. So it's um. I mean, I I highly recommend anyone, obviously, to get involved in martial arts. I mean, more so than anything, it teaches you not to be violent. You know, it teaches you so much about self-control and self-discipline. Good point. That's an excellent point. But I think maybe some parents might be a little concerned. Um, It depends on who you go to, obviously, as well. But um, I would do my research very carefully and, yeah, go down and watch some classes and, and see what the instructor is like and see how they're treating the children or, you know, um are they are they are they being rough are they hitting them you know and and how educated you know the instructor is I mean the instructor that I went to was a full-time instructor who did this this was his living it wasn't his part-time job that he did once or twice a week you know and it was he took this very seriously so I would um, consider that a, a very important aspect that's a very good point, and I'm sure that if anybody is, you know, is interested in getting their children in classes, they they may not even think of that. They may just go to the, you know, the first one or the closest one to their house or, you know, whatever. But that's a very good point to to um, seek out the um, the instructor that you feel would be the best fit, and also, um, as you said, to teach control, not the opposite. So that's yeah. excellent. I would be looking for an instructor who's. Whose, whose mindset, <laughs> whose intellect was, was you know, and his, his communication skills were above, uh, you know, maybe the somebody who maybe who might appear more, I don't know, physically, mm. you know, had more streetwise uh, ability. But I would be looking for somebody whose communication skills were, were, were honed. Very good. 
Now, what is a neuro-linguistic <laughs> master? This has me intrigued. Okay, so basically, um, well, neuro obviously is your your brain, mm -hmm. yes, your brain, and linguistics obviously is your language. So, yes. So, as I said, I went on this course with Richard Bandler, and I um, got very involved in that. And over the next few years, spent a lot of time training with him and and Paul McKenna. The easiest way to describe it is the language that we use internally to ourselves and externally with others. Okay. So it's how, how we communicate both internally and externally and learning about the effect that it has on us. So our minds all have, you've, you've heard possibly of neuroplasticity, which means that our minds are actually, you could imagine that they're malleable in a way, that they're ever changing and evolving and and. We, we have what's called um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for our our neurology we have um, neural pathways so you know if you were looking at this on one of those um, scientific computer screens you'd see every time we have a thought basically we see this neural pathway shoots along in our brain the, the fantastic thing about it is the more we have that thought, the bigger that neural pathway is. <laughs> so if we think of something repetitively, for example, if you're saying something negative to yourself, like, um, oh, I'm not good enough, or I'm not smart enough, or I could never do this, or I could never do that, right? And if you say that to yourself a lot, That's which right. most of us say mm -hmm. negative things to ourselves, something like 2,000 times a day, believe it or not. <laughs> so we're not even aware of how many times we're negative to ourselves. We're not even consciously aware. You know, if we actually watched that on a computer, we'd actually see that those neural pathways are really bigger or are, 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 are stronger. OK, they're much clearer on the screen. Wow. Now, what happens is what the really interesting thing is, as well as that, is when you say that thought out loud and you actually use words, that neural pathway becomes stronger again. Hmm. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because Very. I don't know if you've ever had the experience, for example, yourself or or you've seen somebody that, you know, you, you see they're upset or you're, you've been upset yourself and somebody asks you and says, oh, you know, what's wrong with you, Carol? And you go to tell them and the moment that you go to tell them, you well up and start crying. <laughs> That's because you've used your words out loud and the power of our words is ex it's extremely powerful because it brings it, it increases your neural pathway. It grows stronger and it has huge resonance in your brain. So. Your, your, your spoken words and your thoughts, your thought words, have a lot of power to control your life because, you know, if we go into the breakdown of our, our minds, if you imagine it like an iceberg, you've, you've probably heard this analogy, our conscious mind is only 7%. You know, if you imagine right. an iceberg, the little right. point above the surface, surface but our unconscious mind, the, the, the rest of it that's hidden under the surface is 93%. Now, that's what dictates our lives. That part is what dictates our lives. All our decisions, all our actions, everything that we do is dictated that 93% under the surface. Now, if we don't realize that we're all the time saying negative things to ourselves, how is that going to affect us? Absolutely. So neuro-linguistic programming is all about showing somebody how they think. And once they realize that being able to change those thoughts, being able to change that negative voice inside your head to a more positive one. And also when you're interacting with people and if you're, if you're dealing with clients or people can use this every day. In fact, we all use it. 
I mean, we all use it naturally. It's nothing new. So, for example, if you meet somebody and you smile at them, you're actually using, you could say, whatever label you want to put on it, you could say you're using your linguistic programming because you're smiling at somebody and you're building rapport. Yes. Okay. You know, or you have eye contact and you're, you're building a rapport. You know how to do that naturally because you've been taught that. Or touching them. Or touching them. Absolutely. So all these things are natural ways for us to communicate because your language, the actual words that you use are only a very, very small part. Your body language, all the rest plays a huge important part. So it's, 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 a way of, it's a way of learning about our minds and how to commu- communicate better with ourselves and with others to, to, to have a more beneficial life. You know, it's really interesting as I was listening to you uh, share this whole um, description because at the bottom of every one of my blog posts, I, I write a little uh, saying that I got from a very wise man many, many years ago, and it, I have used it in many different places. When I, I'm a motivational speaker, I, I always use that, and I think it carries a great impact, and it's only six words, and this is what it is, or it might be more. I can count them. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> when you buy the thought, you buy the lie. Wow, yes. Isn't that amazing? And, of course, yes. you could put the word in there when you buy the negative thought, you know. Uh-huh. But essentially, when you buy the thought, and by buying it is you're dwelling on it, you're thinking on it, you're, you're repeating it, you're saying it out loud. Um, you know, there's many ways that we buy that thought. But when we buy it, and it's ours, we've bought Absolutely. the lie that it carries yes. with it. So that's I found this so thing. interesting when you said all this because that's exactly what I have been you know, sharing for for a very very many years already, and I it, I just never put it into those terms as you just did, but it was. I excellent. love it. Yeah, I love it. Excellent. And I think we all have our own way of, of expressing it. As a, yes, know, as said, yes. NLP or, or or all of these things. There's nothing really new out there. It's just we all have our own way of interpreting it and explaining it, and it resonates sometimes with with us one way, and it resonates with us sometimes another way. You know. And it but, also uh, affects our attitude, which we talked about earlier. You oh, know? absolutely! I, I mean, mean it's huge. Yeah. Oh my! It, it's uh, you know. I think when I when I realized how negative I was mm. to myself, and I, I heard that voice, and 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 this is really important um, for 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 your listeners. When you actually stop and actually take real notice of that voice inside your head, and if anyone's listening and, and says, oh, I don't have a voice inside my head, what, what is she talking about? It's that voice that is actually saying right now, I don't have that voice inside my head. Right. <laughs> so that's the voice. Um, when you actually start taking notice of it and actually hearing it, it's already lost 50% of its power. Hmm. Because That's good. Repeat yeah. that. When you when you actually take heed of that voice and actually really take notice of what it's saying, it's already lost a huge amount of its power because you have somewhat detached from it. Because if you imagine, if you want to be, if you, for you to be overwhelmed and you know in, involved in your emotions, for you to be fully absorbed in your emotions, you have to be in it, right? You have to be kind of in it and overwhelmed in it and inside it. So we do a lot of exercises in, 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 in this mind, mind coaching okay, and NLP, okay. where you actually learn the difference between being associated with an emotion 
which is when you're overwhelmed and mm, in the emotion, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and disassociated with the emotion. So they use it as well, like, for example, in cognitive behavior therapy. So, for example, um, now I've never studied cognitive behavior therapy, but I've had clients that have that have gone to cognitive behavior therapy. And I remember listening to them and I was saying, oh, that's exactly what we're going to do. It's the exact same thing. So because when you if, for example, you're feeling anxious and you're overwhelmed in this anxiety and, you know, a cognitive behavior therapist will tell you to to notice where the emotion is, notice hmm. what you're feeling instead of running away from the emotion. Take notice. Start to actually try to analyze what emotion you're feeling inside your body. Now, for you to do that, and it's exactly the same in what I would do is for you to do that, to actually start paying attention. So imagine you're feeling, you know, upset. You're feeling overwhelmed or anxious about something. So you say, okay, now what do I have to do? I have to notice where this feeling is inside my body. Okay, it's in my chest. I feel my chest mm-hmm, is tight. Mm-hmm, okay. Now, so for you to actually do that, you have to kind of step above it a little bit. And remove yourself from what for you to focus on looking down and to see where the feeling is, right? That's right. The moment that you do that, you've disassociated. Hmm. So, and that disassociation will allow you that little bit of relief to start feeling better and to start not being so overwhelmed and anxious in that moment. And to logicize it and gives you that space to be able to say, okay, right, okay, what am I feeling? Okay, I'm feeling a tension in my stomach. I'm feeling Mm -hmm. butterflies. I'm feeling this, you know, squirmy feeling in my tummy. So for you to do that now, you've actually disassociated. You're not in it and overwhelmed in it. You're looking down on it nearly. Okay. And then you have more control once you start analyzing and saying, okay, I'm feeling that. That's what I'm feeling. Okay, what else am I feeling? And now you're suddenly removing yourself from it and be able to think logically. So it's, it's exactly the same with your thoughts. When you think a thought, it's just like like what you're saying, your quote about yes, it yes. being a lie. It, it's exactly like that. A thought is simply a thought. It doesn't make it real. You know, it's, it's thought doesn't mean that it's actually reality. It's just simply a thought. Imagine it like waves going through you. They, we have emotions and they just pass through us. These thoughts just pass through it. I often use an analogy. If you imagine... You're holding a, a um, um, one of those snow crystal balls. You know the snowballs. Oh yes, snow yes. That you them. shake and they. That you shake, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine you're holding one of those, and the ball is your mind, and those little flakes that you shake inside, those little snowflakes are your thoughts. <laughs> okay, those thoughts. That doesn't mean that's your mind, does it? That doesn't mean That's that you are your point. mind. Very good analogy. They are simply little snowflakes, little thoughts mm-hmm. that pass through. And if you stop shaking it, what happens? They settle at the bottom. But they take up <laughs> no space, don't they? That's so an excellent analogy. Mind, your mind is still there. You're still existing. You're still there. So those thoughts come and go. But you don't have to believe them. You can you can choose. Remember, you always have choice. That's you right. can choose to believe them or, or not. Or you can choose to analyze them and ask better questions. And ask good questions to see if if those those thoughts are actually true. Now this is a process. This does not happen overnight. And I think that's important for people to realize that not to get discouraged. 
if they're if they have this battle, you know, like this this mm-hmm. mental battle, this anguish that comes with trying to change our way of thinking. It doesn't happen overnight. It does take practice. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you don't just wake up one day. Well, first of all, you have to make that decision, as you said, you know, I don't want I don't like where I'm living. I want to change this. Yeah. But you need you need to you need guidance and mm-hmm. you need practice and eventually as you said, when you take that first step, that's 50% of the battle. Oh, absolutely. The moment that you actually really decide, okay, I want to change things, and you become, you have that light bulb moment that you realize that you're not your brain, that you're so much more. You're this incredible <laughs> entity, this incredible being, you know, that I, I don't know what it is. I don't know the words for it, but you're this incredible thing that's so much bigger than simply your brain and your thoughts. Your thoughts are just simply your control panel. Your, your, you know, your brain is just a little control panel that you have control over. And I think I had that light bulb moment where I realized, okay, okay, hang on a second. I've been allowing this brain to control me, but I'm much bigger than this brain. I'm something. Mm. I'm the snow snowball. Do you know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not the little flakes. Right. I'm. I'm. Right. I'm the ball outside. I'm that ball. I'm that glass ball. So I. I can. I can actually take back control here. Now, yes, it doesn't happen overnight because. It's like, I, I can't remember, there's a quote, there's a famous quote out there, that motivation is like a bathing, you should do it every day. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's the same thing. You know, if you want to lead a happier life, then do more things that make you happy daily. Because happiness isn't something that people go off and they look for happiness and they, you know, search the world and they go to India or whatever they do <laughs> to look for enlightenment. right. right. And, go to find something it's not it's not a noun it's not it's not um it's not a thing that you're going to pick up off the street and say okay here it is and slot it into myself and now I'm going to feel happy all the time because in fact you know I get clients and they come to me and say okay I want to feel happy all the time and I say really <laughs> you really want to feel happy all the time it's all the time boring. yeah really I mean <laughs> if you felt happy boring. all the time what would happen you'd probably be locked up you'd be probably yeah, considered <laughs> crazy Exactly. You know, if you Good want to point. be dancing around and laughing when you see, you know, somebody you love get hurt or, you know, we, we want to have all our emotions and all our thoughts are relative and they're they're relevant to a specific time and a place. We want to have them at certain times. And they're in balance. Absolutely. You know, but if you want to feel happy, then do things that make you feel happy more often. And I suppose that's what started with me. I started practicing more and more often bringing myself back to awareness, bringing myself back to realize, repeating things and saying to myself, okay, I'm not my brain, I'm more than my brain. My brain is a control panel that, that, that I control, not the other way around. So, okay, I'm having, okay, if you have a bad thought, that's okay. That's okay, don't br- knock yourself up for it. Don't, 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 you know, just say, okay, that's a thought, I've had it. So, so what? I can let it go, you know. You just you know you can be becoming aware of it or learn from it because sometimes we have those things that they're warnings you know and and we can learn from them we can glean from them but we don't necessarily have to make it you know like you said we're not the thought absolutely you're not the thought and if if you want if you want to have new results then 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 you have to it requires new thinking you know so you have to analyze that thought and what you know what I, I say is ask good questions you know because it's all about where you put your focus so it's right if you if for example you ask i mean one of the worst things one of the probably best piece of advice i could give is to say to somebody stop asking why 
So if you're if you're saying to yourself in your head, oh, you know, why is my life this way or why has this happened or why can't I do this or why can't I do that? Stop, because why brings you back in a certain direction? Because mm. your mind wants to justify your mind works for you, not the other way around. <laughs> OK, so your mind wants to prove you right because we have something that's called confirmation bias, which means that we want to be right. Instinctually, we want to be right. And your brain wants to do its job, wants to say, OK, you know, Carol, or whoever has had this thought, you've had this thought, says, OK, why can't I do this? So now it's looking for the answer. So it goes looking for why you can't do this. So it, says, it comes back and says, OK, you can't do this because you can't do it because of this. You can't do it because of that. So you look for it looks for all the reasons why you can't do it. So it brings you back into a bad place. So if you want to find out. If you want a better result and you want a better answer, ask how. Ask, how can I do this? Because that brings you in the opposite direction. It brings you towards a solution, not towards the problem. So I would definitely focus on going forward instead of back and looking in the right direction. Now, have you put a lot of these thoughts and um, self-help tips or whatever you want to call them in your book? And, and tell me a little bit about your book. Okay, absolutely. So what happened was after I learned all this stuff and I started to become aware of my own thoughts. Now, I'm not perfect, of course, and I'm only human and I have moments where I feel down as well and I feel, you know, my thoughts go that way. But what I've learned is that a lot of people say, okay, you know, just think positive and it's all about positivity. It's not about necessarily about that. It's about thinking smart. And it's about planning early for adversity. So like you were saying earlier that, you know, sometimes we can't help ourselves. It's not so easy. Of course it's not. So it's about, but I said it, but, I, but it is easier than we think. It's a lot easier than mm. we think once we become aware. And I think 50, 60 percent of the battle becomes the moment that you decide, right, OK, I'm going to take back control, take back responsibility and be aware of it. And. What I, what, I, what I did was also plan for adversity, plan for the moments. Instead of imagining that your life is going to be perfect and everything's going to go smoothly from this moment on, you know, that, that, I wouldn't suggest that someone does that because then what it's happens not reality. Is, it's not reality. And what happens is when you hit an obstacle, any little obstacle, then you get disillusioned, disheartened, mm-hmm. disappointed, and you stop. Okay, so if you imagine even if it's something simple like you want to lose weight, Okay, and you say, okay, right, I'm gonna go on this diet. The moment that you 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 suddenly you know eat that biscuit, now you chastise yourself. You say, mm-hmm. oh my god, that's no point, and you and you don't continue then because you feel that you failed. But if you plan in advance in your head, and that's what it's all about. It's all about planning in advance in your head, but planning correctly. And you say to yourself, okay, um, I am going to plan in advance for the times that I'm going to feel bad, and I'm going to want to eat that biscuit. Okay, and I'm going to plan in advance that even when I do, if I do eat that biscuit, biscuit, then what am I going to do afterwards? So you plan for, you know, the the obstacles and the moments when when you're feeling down. If you don't plan for that in advance, then then you're going to fail. But you're prepared. Exactly, you're prepared. So what happened was with my book was I decided because obviously it helped. It helped me. Most of all, it helped me. And then what happened was. I noticed even very in very small ways with people I loved and cared about around me, it started having an effect because they noticed the change in me Mm. and 
the the best example that you can give to anybody is is your own example you know and they they do they 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 breathe it in they sense it they they feel it and they can't help themselves they they start following following and and doing the same thing so i noticed it with my mum for example you know i noticed it with 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 you know with my with my with my partner and with now you know that that i love very much you know all these changes started to happen you know all these little things started to affect my friends and they also started to change it had a little knock on effect sort of rubbing off on them so you know I, I, as i got more and more into into coaching and working with people because i was doing it anyway with martial arts i decided to write a book you know and i called it obviously <laughs> uh, the black belt mastermind <laughs> <laughs> Um, because it was relative for me because it was all about how to get back up and fight and and just like if you're if you're training or or if you're punched in the gut you know the pain does pass and you know it's an important thing to remember in life that the pain does pass whether it's a physical thing or a mental thing life can be easier if you allow it to be that's part of the preparation then too, because we all are going to go through things. But if we, if we uh, know that we will get past it, and know in advance that whatever happens, we will get past it, we will get through it, and have that mindset, it's that much easier. Then is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. So in in my book, um, I, I use an acronym: Master, Masterful Attitude, Strength, and Tenacity equals Results. So I based the, each chapter of, of my book, The Black Belt Mastermind, on the the process that I would bring somebody through to bring them through a process of change to help them improve their life. And like, you know, the first step would be masterful awareness. So that's, as, I, as we said, over 50 percent of the battle, you know, um, and then we'd go through all the different stages of breaking down any kind of negative beliefs that are holding you back and which which would then gives you hope once you realize that okay hang on you challenge yourself you challenge your thinking and say to yourself okay maybe you know instead of believing that i can't do this maybe maybe i can do this <laughs> so once you have that once you think okay maybe i can do this now the world is your oyster because you're you're hopeful you're motivated then you start looking at you know you start visualizing which you know visualizing is not as straightforward as people think a lot of people think that visualizing is simply Oh, you know, I want to be rich, so I'm going to imagine myself counting loads of money. Okay, but that could mean you're working in a bank. <laughs> so <laughs> that does not mean that you're going to be happy. So if anybody practices visualization, there are tricks to this, um, and there's some very important rules, let's say, you know, or, or secrets or whatever you want to call it, that will make a big difference because it's not just it's not just simply hocus pocus. It's actually science. It's actually, if you if you look at it from a neurolo- neurological perspective, it works like this. If you visualize, but you visualize with emotion. So in other words, instead of, for example, say you want to be, say you want to be richer, okay, or, or have more, more money or a better lifestyle. Instead of visualizing counting money, because that doesn't really get you really that emotive. Visualize what would make you really happy. What would you be doing with that money? What would you be doing with that lifestyle? So would you be helping your children? What, what, you know, what would they be doing? What would the people that you love be doing? How does that benefit you? How does that really change your life? And when you visualize it to the extent that you actually have emotion when you're doing it, and this is the real key point, that you visualize it so that you're actually 
feel that you're there and living it and experiencing it. And how good would you feel right now if you were really living that life? And what would you be actually doing? And how would you actually feel? And what would you be looking at? And what would you be sensing? And what would you be feeling? All those emotions, right? When you get those emotions, that's the key. Because now what you've done is you've tricked your brain. Okay? <laughs> and, it, and it works like this. Because pre, pretty simply, your, your mind, or rather your unconscious mind, does not know the difference between what's real or imagined. Okay? So to explain that, for example, have you ever dreamt? Have you ever had a dream? So, You're asking me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. And have you ever had a dream, for example, where you felt emotion? Of course. So, you, you, you know, we've all had dreams where you might have felt, you know, sadness or you might have felt happiness or you might have felt anger. fear, for example, or anger, anything like that. You've woken up from a nightmare and you kind of go, you've woken up and you were terrified in the nightmare and you woke up and you went, oh, my God, thank God that was just a dream. Yeah. Yes, of course. OK. Now, how come you realize the moment that you woke up, it was just a dream? Because that was your conscious mind telling you that it was just a dream. But your unconscious mind, when you were dreaming, didn't know the difference. Now, that's a really important point. Because yes. when you realize that your unconscious mind does not know the difference between what's real or imagined, that gives you power. Because what you do when you visualize, you visualize with intent and with emotion. Now you've kidded your brain. Now your brain, your unconscious mind, which you know is 93% of you now, actually thinks it's happened actually believes that you've actually been there and lived that life that you so want. Now, what happens then is, this is how I, I interpret the law of attraction, for example, is when you actually, when your unconscious mind, which you know is most of you, 93% of you, believes that this has actually happened, then what happens is it wants to get it back. Because it's like loss bias, which is a psychological effect that we have in our minds. If, for example, if I said to you, okay, I'm going to give you a thousand pounds you might say okay fair enough and then I said to you no I've changed my mind I'm not going to give it to you how disappointed would you be for example on a scale of one to ten that I didn't give it to you ten being very disappointed <laughs> well of course it would depend upon where you're at too and if you believe that they would even do that in the first exactly, place right exactly uh -huh. now you might be disappointed but generally people don't don't say say, say to me you know well yeah, I don't know maybe three four something like that okay you know, I might be a bit disappointed. Now, if, if I said to you, OK, I'm going to take all your money and I took all your money out of your bank account. On a scale of one to ten, how disappointed would you be? Ten being very disappointed. Probably ten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, how come? Because the first time I was giving you something, the second time it was something that you had and I was taking it away. Right. Right. Now, if I took something away from you. You're going to feel disappointed because you believe that's yours, right? And you had that. That belonged to you. That mm -hmm. was your life. That was the way that life that you led that would belong to you. That was yours. It's exactly the same with visualization. When you've kidded your brain, your unconscious mind, which is 93% of you, believes that you've actually had this life. It wants to do everything in its power to get it back. And it's driven and motivated unconsciously. You don't even realize that it puts the wheels into motion. And you're you're driven unconsciously. To, to go back and get that life that, that it believes that you were le leading already. And, and that's how it works. So in my book, I cover the steps in how to bring you through that process from the life that you were leading 
to the life that you want to bring it to lead and a process of change. <laughs> and I, I assume that you're very clear and it's very concise because that's the way that you have shared today and that it would be very easy to follow. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I was very skeptic. That. I was skeptic at the start of all of this. So I wanted something that made logical sense to me. Um, and this this makes very logical sense on a logical level, but and also on a on a spiritual and an emotional level, it made it made sense and it, and it worked. The name of your book is The Black Belt Mastermind, and by Danielle Serpico. And I'm assuming it's on as uh, Amazon. It is. It's on Amazon. And okay. It's, it's on Amazon, and it's also on my website. And your website is that of the same name as well? It is. It's, okay. it's the Black Belt Mastermind dot com. So that's all we have to remember is the Black Belt Mastermind. And you have taught us today. You have not only shared with us, but you have taught us. And I think that there is a lot of food for thought here. I know people are probably going to have questions and Great. they can contact you through your website. Absolutely, okay. um, or email me anytime at okay. info at theblackbeltmastermind.com. But more importantly, to get your book and then ask questions. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The book will help an awful that's lot. That's right, yeah. that's right. Well, I appreciate this, Danielle. You have been great. You've been inspiring. You've been encouraging. You've been, um, I'm looking for the word, enlightening and, and educational. So you've covered a lot and we didn't even get to talk about, you know, some of the personal things in, in your life and what makes you tick. We'll do that another time, perhaps. In the meantime, right. let's let's go to your website. Let's order your book, The Black Belt Mastermind. And I look forward to it. And I thank you so much. You've been a marvelous guest and I thank really, you, really Carol. appreciate it. Thank I you, Dino. talking to you. Thank you, Carol. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.